to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a look inside one of the most bizarre bank heists ever told about on a podcast involving another tube. We'll discuss The Sneak. Then the L.A. Times shows us what went into revealing one of America's most beloved celebrities, secret life of rape and cover up. We will review Chasing Cosby. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and my favorite adult ed teacher, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Adult ed sounds like, um, almost like sex ed. No, like it doesn't. Nice, no? Yes. It sounds like you're teaching adults. Oh, you mean like like adult films. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> Toby knows what I'm throwing down. I, I'm with you. I just want to I'm say, if anyone uh, who's listening to this follows me on Twitter, I did tweet today the greatest piece of audio ever produced about sex ed, a uh-huh. three-minute radio story featuring my work wife, Maureen, from like four years ago, talking about her high school sex ed teacher teaching sex ed by playing Paradise by the <laughs> Dashboard Light and telling the kids just to take notes. <laughs> oh, my. So anyway, who, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I'm at Reb Lavoy. Look for that. Listen to it. You will not regret it. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and my favorite certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Laura. Good evening. And finally with us, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host of the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello. All right. Well, quick chat portion before we begin our very action-packed show this evening. Today in our Patreon after show, which you can listen to right now at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, we are talking about an update in the Curtis Flowers case from In the Dark. We're also talking about why we aren't reviewing a very popular true crime podcast on this show that many of our listeners have requested to review. It's called Your Own Backyard. We're just going to be talking about that briefly, giving you a look into our editorial process. And I'm also going to try to convince you guys to watch a brand new suburban British mystery on Netflix. (laughs) So that's what's happening on the after show. You can get that plus our book club podcast plus leave it to Bricker, Laura Bricker's podcast plus Kevin and my podcast where we give advice in all sorts of ways about all sorts of questions. Married with podcast by going to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Guys, before we get into the show, can we just talk about what's going on right now in our damn state? Sure. Presidential candidates everywhere. Correct. For me, that means like 15-hour work days. Yeah. (laughs) How are you guys doing with the primary? Laura, have you been spending any time with any candidates lately? Not yet, but I am all in for Mayor Pete, so I've been doing my duty to help out uh, with some local campaigning there. Also, something interesting that's been happening is I think they sold all of our information during the last, I'm sure they did, um, but somebody named Jill apparently has my phone number. So like the Bernie people and the Andrew Yang people and now the Amy Klobuchar people are like, hey, Jill. And I'm like, 
This is good. I'm like flying under the radar here. So basically, can I explain what Laura's talking about? I mean, about? can I explain? Because actually, you get any of these? Yes, I get. I get, I get like a hundred oh, yeah. a day. All right. Text messages from campaigns. I think my name is Rebecca. But basically what happens is that the parties buy registered voter lists from the state, which are publicly available. Of course, in New Hampshire, their paper is registered voter rolls. So, like, I imagine that some diligent person went there and looked at the papers and, like, copied everything down. Uh, But, yeah, that's part of the data set that both parties purchase. And if the primary comes to your state fair listeners, which it will. You will be getting tons of text messages from candidates in whichever party you're in because that's just how it works now. It's pretty freaking nuts. Uh, Toby, have you had any canvassers show up at your house? And if so, what do you say to them when they do? Uh, I've had canvassers and I just kind of smile sadly and say, <laughs> keep going. Like I, I, I canvass myself, you know, so I, I, I realize what the deal is. But I'm just like, you know, I just don't need to talk about this stuff. I'll I'll vote. I haven't figured out who yet, and nothing you're going to tell me is going to convince me. Well, you're not alone, Toby. A lot of people, as we tape this, it's just a few days before the primary. It's like six days left. A lot of people, um, and when this show drops, it'll be the day before the primary, that I know and that we our reporters in my newsroom have talked to, a lot of people have not decided it. You're not the only one, so don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get so many texts. It's it's really insane. And I actually got a text from Deval Patrick's campaign. Yeah, I got one of those. Asking me if, because they're going to be at, uh, he's doing something at UNH, and asking me if I wanted them to save me a seat. And I was like, that's pretty optimistic, dude. <laughs> like, I don't think you need to save me, save me a seat. I think I can walk in anytime and find plenty of seats so, for that event. So we can tell our listeners whichever party that you follow, someone or maybe a lot of people will eventually get around to you mm. and you will get text messages that say, hi, Kevin, I'm inviting you to join U.S. Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado oh. tonight at the Manchester Community College. I'm guessing that yeah. like in a few states from Pete. now, a lot of people will not be getting texts from the Michael Bennett campaign. Probably not. It's, it's, just, a, it's a keeper. Just a guess. I got my Tom Steyer one. <laughs> but it's... Uh, you know what? It's just like swipe left and just delete it's it. It's new. It's exciting. It is exciting. It's, exciting. it's our Super Bowl. I have to tell you guys, um, I got in trouble when I was canvassing. Of course you did. I did. I went inside people's houses and I and they were like, why did you take so long canvassing? And I was like, well, some of these people I said I had to talk talk to them for 15 or 20 minutes and they're like what you're and i'm like no i go in i sit down i they're like you don't go in people's houses i'm like this is new hampshire you go in people's and they're like oh my i got in big trouble i said that was the last time i went canvassing Lara, seriously the sneak could happen to you just don't go into people's houses (laughs) just don't do it all right. Well, we're obviously not endorsing any particular candidate, except for maybe Lara, on this podcast. Except for Lara. <laughs> but we but we do want to say we are very excited to be part of, um, you know, our democracy. We know the primary may not stay in New Hampshire forever, so this might be our last go-around. And yes, it is like our Super Bowl, and it's all over tomorrow. All right. Are you guys ready to record a podcast? We are. Let's do it. In September 2008, One of the strangest and most daring heists in recent memory took place in the small town of Monroe, Washington. What set this apart was the amount of planning. There was a disguise, Craigslist hired decoys, and an escape that's still, to this day, hard to believe. 
USA Today is out with a podcast covering an unusual bank heist. In the sneak, host Nate Scott tells us of a holdup where the armored car guard was sprayed with bear mace by a man disguised as a landscaper who escaped downriver on an inner tube. You get the, so you get a call over the radio? Yes. Do you remember what was said? That he was floating down uh, the river in an inner tube. The media jumped on the story. When the criminal got a nickname, DB Tuber, it went viral worldwide. There was only one problem. It wasn't the real story of what happened. The sneak touches on many parts of the so-called D.B. Tuber case. Great name. Including interviews with its mastermind, Anthony Curcio. I am infamous because of uh, in the armored car robbery in 2008. One man, a former local high school football star, would be convicted of the robbery. I always thought about him as a football player. He's calling routes like he was trying to anticipate everything. Scott offers a revealing look at the troubled life of the football player turned bank robber and says the full story of the heist has yet to be told. Now, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the sneak. So for our spoiler free review, check out the time code listed in our show notes. Now, I want to start the podcast with... Uh, a formatic question. Toby, these episodes are hella short, are they not? This is like a very snackable podcast, is it not? Uh, they're they're too short, but yeah, <laughs> they're short. What do you mean they're too short? You know, I think there's a certain amount of, at the beginning, like kind of catching you up, and then there's, you know, this is whatever it is, and I'm this person. And then at that point, you're like a quarter of the way through the podcast, it seems. Mm. I mean, they're, they're so quick. That I think you need a certain amount of time just to kind of get some momentum going and to get get immersed in it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like they should have just doubled up the episodes. But I do understand that they're probably trying to hit a certain number of episodes for advertising and having a presence for a long enough time. Yes. Nine episodes. It's nine episodes. Nine episodes. Yeah. So it's like I'm sure it could have been like four episodes. But I don't think that would have flown so well. Um, so I'm sure that's what the deal is. But it does seem super short. Like mm. you push play and then suddenly it's the end, you know, the ending music again. So I agree with Toby. I think that it, it revs up and you start to get some of the story and then it's over. And then there are a lot of episodes and it just seems like the better way to tell the story would be to put together four, four episodes or yeah. maybe even five episodes. Or three Plus, or maybe one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel more like it is beholden to some sort of other agenda production-wise than to tell what the story is. Mm. You know, it's like you could write one good book or you could come out with five smaller paperbacks. Book letters. Book letters, yeah. <laughs> Novellas that all go together. You know, I, I, that's how I felt about it. Now, Laura, you were the one who pitched this podcast to do on the show. And of course, it is a hot podcast, and that's why we're doing it. But also, one of the things you said to me early on as you were listening got my attention. And I'm like, oh, I want to check that out. And you said, this is a very promising podcast that turns into a bro fest real quick. What did you mean by that? What I meant by that was, you know, it was a really interesting story leading in. Like the first episode, I was all into this guy's escape and the witnesses, and it was very entertaining. And then when we get to the point where we're actually, you know, hearing from Anthony himself, it seemed like 
you know, there was this sort of like, hey, that's so cool. Like, yo, man, you like did this bank robbery. But he didn't talk like that, the ho- you know, Nate, the host. But it was just sort of like I felt like there was this sort of level of like, hey, this is so cool that we're talking to this bank robber and he's telling us this whole story. And for me, I was kind of waiting for them to be like, hey, but you robbed a bank and that's wrong. And even though it's really cool that you did all this stuff, like I just felt like it was just sort of like this sort of, uh, I don't know. Did you did you kind of pick up on that same sort of vibe as I did? The reason I'm asking you guys questions and not talking is because I have so many things to say about this podcast, and that <laughs> yeah. is only one of them. <laughs> yeah. So I just felt like, and I felt like for me, where that came through is like, so we'd hear the, and that was where, I, like, maybe it was just sort of the way when it was put together was like, we'd hear the interviews with Anthony, where Anthony is just like, oh, yeah, dude, whatever. And then we'd hear the reflection where the host sounded a little more skeptical of the story. But then that skepticism didn't translate back into the interview. It's like there was like some after the fact sort of like, oh, maybe this guy is sort of just full of shit. Well, one of the things that that struck me about this that bothered me as I was listening Kevin, I'd love your take on this because you listen to the writing of shows sometimes more carefully than I do for certain things. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really bothered me about the writing in the show, I feel like it really suffered from a lack of a very like an experienced podcast script editor because it felt like there was a lot of two steps forward, one step back moments where we would get a bunch of information and then the host would tell us something as if it were reveal. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, all the information we've been hearing for the last couple of minutes did the reveal for us. And we didn't need him to go back and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I have an example of that that I want to play. It's it's where we hear that there's a suspect and then we find out he's the guy. Why are you famous or infamous? I'm not famous, that's for sure. I am infamous because of uh, in the armored car robbery in 2008 or nine. Shit, when was that? September of 08. The reason it got media attention was because of, well, number one, I escaped on an inner tube. And number two, I hired decoys, I guess you'd say, to help me pull off the robbery. And then number three, I was busted by a homeless guy. Yes, Anthony Curcio is DB Tuber. Kevin, did you pick up on on that writing issue that um, I picked up on? Not, not exactly. I, I I had more of an issue with the editing choices. It seems a little rough. You know, it, it reminds me more of like the way it's put together. A little more like a college project. You know, there were a couple of instances writing wise where they'll say, uh, "Yeah, well, then that person was Toby Ball," and then cut to audio ways. So, what did you know about Toby Ball? So, like, you know that that echo mm. lead was not great. There was a problem with a bunch of the interviews, or like there, when he says, "Like the story above," which is like above, above what sto- the above story, <laughs> the above story. Yeah, <laughs> and there was a bunch of the interviews where he was off mic, where it said to reminded me like, was he even recording this as a podcast? So th- there were some production difficulties here where it just, the levels are uneven. But for the most part, I kind of like the host, even if he's not the strongest. So it, it does have some redeeming qualities. Hmm. I think one of the redeeming qualities of this podcast, if not uh, the larger story, which we'll get to, are the details of the smaller story, which is how this heist was pulled off. Toby, is it not a good idea, in theory, to, if you're planning to commit a crime, get a bunch of people to dress up just like you so that witnesses won't be able to tell 
which one of the guys is the guy. That's definitely the way I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the other details of this of this podcast, Toby? You know, this whole thing kind of reminds me, like, if you went home and there was some guy you knew who's kind of a knucklehead, but was the jock in your high school, and you're sitting around a keg or whatever, and he's like, oh, dude, you're not going to believe what happened to me. <laughs> and you're like, well, what, what happened to you, man? He's like, oh, I fucking robbed this bank and I had all these guys dressed up like me and I got you know I was running through the woods dude they couldn't catch me and you know it's just like that kind of thing which I just escape kid I just escape <laughs> yeah exactly like I'm listening my whole sort of listening experience to this thing is that it's kind of fun it's not like a work of art it's got a lot of issues but unlike so much of the stuff that we listen to, it's not as it's not as heavy. It's just like a story, and, and that's just kind of the the uh, you don't know for want of a better word the vibe I get off of it is you know the host is like this is a fucked up story that this guy you know of what this guy did, and I'm just going to make a podcast about it. Toby, isn't it such a classic detail though that like the guys even that he recruited to like do this crime with him just like bailed? Wouldn't that make that campfire story even like so much better? The man he says was his partner in planning the crime had backed out the night before. I say, you know, it's on tomorrow, uh, and he, you know, he gave me a couple excuses. None of them saying that he's you know scared. He just basically said that. Um, he had something else going on, like a <clears throat> a meeting or some shit. They're knuckle. I mean, you could just totally see those guys like smoking weed somewhere. He's like, "All right, dude, like you're gonna hang out across the street and make sure like everything's clear, and then you're gonna like drive the car. We're gonna like get out of here really fast." And they're like, "Okay, yeah, that sounds cool, man." And then they wake up the next morning. They're like, "Fuck no, I'll go to jail," and so they bail. So I, you know, the whole thing just seems like everybody's high school like going back there's some story about these guys just cooking up some stupid plan and one guy like actually goes through with it well there is some truth to that because this was the product of an addicted mind right i mean that was part of the reason was the for the motivation behind the heist and the state of mind that he was in and you know, it's he's it's so overly complicated. It's not complicated. Yeah. Well, this is this is my no, no. problem with this podcast. He's not complicated is going up to the armored car, yeah, spraying the guy and run away. Yeah. Hiring a bunch of people off of Craigslist yes. to be oh, dressed exactly you mean, like you mean, him. The, you mean the plan was complicated. The plan was complicated. And then we're gonna get away on an inner tube after you run through the woods. And then jet ski was a better idea. Ski. <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of fun. A wig. But yeah, uh. can you just see those guys like plotting this whole thing out? Yeah. But here's like, my dude. I'm gonna get all these guys. They're all gonna be dressed the same. They're not gonna I'm know gonna who I the am. Money in the here's trunk. the thing. Like Toby, as you describe it, this is a hundred percent a delightful podcast that I would want to listen to. To my ear, our host is telling us this story is big, and it is important let me give you an example of that basically the story that we're told they're telling that has never been told before is that this wasn't a heist committed by one guy but it was committed by a lot of co-conspirators what on earth was going on here this was supposedly a crime committed by a lone mastermind but here we had anthony and a driver and a lookout and someone who supposedly helped him plan the crime, not to mention a whole crew of people in Vegas. And no matter who we talked to, be it Anthony or Detective Bazell or the attorneys on either side, no one would ever mention these people until we directly asked about them. It was only then that they would say, well, 
Yeah, other people had been involved in this crime. Why had these people been hidden for so long? What was everyone hiding? Okay, so in that clip, we hear him say, but when I ask people, they say, yeah, there were other people involved. Like, no one is lying about the fact that there were other people involved. So I guess that's my big question here. This is being sold to us in the narrative like it is a big, complicated story. And if you ever read about it, you only know part of it. But then what they're actually telling us is not a big, complicated story. It's about a guy who did a crime that, yeah, some other people were tangentially involved in, but he got credit for being the mastermind of, like, who cares? Like, like, Laura, do you hear what I hear there? Well, I hear that, but I also sort of just feel like this is just sort of an entertaining story to me to listen to. Like, it's like Toby was saying, it's like, you know, and I did kind of, when I was listening to it, I was like, um, so that's okay. And then when they got to the point where they had the guy's social history from the defense attorney, where they actually mentioned one of the co-conspirators, I was like, Yeah, so this wasn't secret. Like, this wasn't, you know, I'm like, it was there if you read the paperwork um, when you get the court file. But I just loved all the, like, bizarro details, like how I loved the real estate agent who was like, well, real estate wasn't going so well. And that guy had a bunch of money. So he was buying a house. And I'm like, so you chased him down to a lagoon? Yeah, um, yet, then... even though the real estate market wasn't going well, there apparently were 100 <laughs> real estate agents in this very tiny town. Well, it's a it's a place to go. It's a place to live. Um, And I just and then, you know, going in the other real estate office with no shoes on after the inner tube ride. I mean, there was a lot of interesting stuff. I just found it kind of like I think I had to approach it like this is not going to be this big revelation. It's just kind of an entertaining tale. Of these. I don't agree, but it's not presented that way. It's presented like it's a lot yeah. bigger. Like, And I agree with that part, Rebecca, because I was waiting for this big reveal and I'm like, uh, okay. There's one thing related to him going into the yet third realty office. We hear about the first guy, the guy who chased him, who's awesome, you know, the realtor mm-hmm. hometown boy. Um, and then we hear that the criminal is also a realtor. And then we hear he went into yet another real estate office to make this phone call. And there's this amazing moment in the podcast where our host and the producers are talking about like all the research they've done and they think they know everything and they've read all these articles. And there is this detail about him going into the real estate office and making this phone call. We were going over the bit about Curcio walking into the realtor's office, asking to use the phone, hoping no one would notice his wet feet. And then my Anthony asked a question. A question that changed this entire investigation. A question that, as far as we could tell, no one had thought to ask in the 10 plus years since the crime occurred. Wait, he said. And Curcio asked to use the phone. Who was he calling? My question, guys, was if he wrote in an inner tube, why were only his feet wet? (laughs) That was my question that I was wondering. (laughs) He writes it better than you do. <laughs> well, they've got those ones that have like a seat. Oh, yeah. Like if you're going to be pulled behind a boat. Yeah, pretty lucky if you're. Uh, it's for a stolen inner tube. Yeah, yeah. I mean this. Uh, this is a very fun <laughs> podcast in some ways. Toby, did you ever think you'd be listening to a true crime podcast and a detailed description of a Lego city that a perpetrator built in which he reenacted his own crime <laughs> <laughs> in stop motion photography? <laughs> That was that was pretty funny, and then. Uh, but it's not played for laughs, which is odd, <laughs> right? He's got like these weird little details every once in a while, like the fact that 
the first realtor like wasn't going to live there, but then like he got kind of roped into building this house for this guy who lost his house and all these people were pitching in and, and then he realized that's the kind of place I want to be, you know, these friendly people who are all really nice. And he, but he carries a gun everywhere he goes. <laughs> it's like, seriously? Yes, but he would never pull it on somebody who had just stolen money because he has a conscience. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. It's not a person on person thing. So anyway, 100%. Like, I agree. Like, they're trying to make more out of the story than there is. But I just kind of ignored all, you know. It's kind of like, okay, whatever, man. <laughs> because the actual story is just, it's crazy, and it, but it's also crazy in a way that you could see it being played out in like literally hundreds of towns around the country where there's just some guy who like sees a bunch of heist movies. It's like, I could totally fucking do that, mm. man. Mm. You know, if you stick an umbrella down and you open it up, then none of the, none of the gravel falls through. <laughs> you know, it's... What the fuck? Toby, maybe we should recreate this this summer. We should see yeah, we should what it's totally. like to try to go down the river with some money in the inner tube. We should build a Lego city based on our podcast. <laughs> Kevin could be sitting in one corner with no pants on. <laughs> <laughs> I could be sitting in one corner with my little chalice of wine. Lara could be sitting surrounded by a million Lego cats. <laughs> Man. Well, I, I don't think it's funny because this podcast is very snackable. And when I was thinking about what we'd talk about it when we reviewed it, I also think like the review of this is probably going to be pretty snackable. So let's just do that. Let's just lunchable this shit and do what we do and let our listeners know, should they check out the podcast, The Sneak? allegedly some sort of sports podcast from USA Today. Lara Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this weird little show? Um, I go with thumbs up because it's entertaining. And you all know me. I'll listen to anything. But this was something that was kind of fun <laughs> Not to anything. listen to. Anything. Anything at all. Except Not that one thing anything. I refuse. Not anything. Given so our Patreon are... after show topic tonight. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's some issues. Like, I do feel like it's kind of like we're waiting for some big reveal that may not necessarily be there, although we are only on episode five. So maybe in the next four episodes. But it's just entertaining because it is just this crazy story of this insane bank robbery with a pretty uh, creative escape. So, you know, just for that, you should listen to it. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down? For the sneak. I give it a thumbs up. I mean, it's it's light. It's not like a super serious dive into anything. It's it's a good yarn. Um, there's some good details. There's some stuff that's kind of annoying about it, especially the length of the shows is just bizarre. But at this point, if you're starting, there's uh, there's enough lined up that you can get through like an hour and a quarter or something out of the five episodes that are out there. So yeah, check it out. It, it's you know it's a nice break from our usual kind of depressing <laughs> fare uh, <laughs> that we normally cover, like our next one. So thumbs up, Kevin Flynn. What do you think? I'm a thumbs up. This is not a podcast that is going to win a Peabody <laughs> or the Pulitzer. <laughs> I think about the last USA Today affiliated podcast we listened to accused accused <laughs> which is great they built a vat <laughs> and they questioned people from a nuclear power plant <laughs> and then we've got this guy <laughs> and it's and it's different 
But I think actually Toby said it best. Well, whoever said it, it was as snackable. Mm. I think that was me. Yeah, that's why. I th- Trademark Rebecca Lavoy. <laughs> yeah, snackable is the way to go, and it is like yeah, bag of chips. And you're like halfway through them, so you might as well stick around. I don't think it's particularly well done, but I got to say the story is strong enough, and I'm curious enough that I would like to listen to another four 12-minute episodes to figure out what happened. <laughs> all right. I think you guys are all as high as the perpetrator was when we heard him with his leg injury on this podcast. Oh, I'm giving this, I bet that smelled, too. I'm giving this a big old thumbs down, even though part of me did enjoy listening to it because the episodes were blessedly short. The writing is awful. The editing is atrocious. And I guess my biggest problem with this podcast is our host keeps telling us again and again and again, you think it's one thing, but there's much more here. And it's like, no, (laughs) there really isn't. This is about a guy who came from a small town, was a football player, got in trouble in high school, got in trouble in college, got very unfortunately addicted to opioids, found himself in a situation and needed money and committed a crime, and yes, had an overly elaborate plan, probably because he had substance issues, didn't really think it through. There is a bigger, more interesting story here, but that's not what the podcast is going for. It's going for sort of like, a gotcha on the police when the police are like, no, we know there are other people. Like, if the podcast took a, a lighter look at this and said, like, look at the absurdity of this crime and then did a character study of the guy who did it, yeah, I'm for that. But I'm just not for the way it's done, even though it's a very snackable listen. So I'm sorry, guys. I gotta, like, break from the panel for the sneak. It's a thumbs down for me. Moving on. I want to show a fascinating interview we found from 1991. Bill Cosby was on CNN promoting a book. He tells an interesting story. Take a look. And Drop you put it, it in, in the drink. Coca-Cola. Don't I, matter. It doesn't make it. And the girl would drink it. And she's yours. Hello, America. <laughs> the LA Times new podcast looks into the events that eventually took down one of America's most beloved figures. In Chasing Cosby, host Nikki Wisensee Egan recalls the comedian's rise as a wholesome entertainer all while leading a dark double life. I survived being drugged and sexually assaulted by Bill Cosby. Drugged and sexually assaulted. Drugged and sexually assaulted. Sexually assaulted. Assaulted by Bill Cosby. At that time in 65, I was 17. He took everything from us. Through archival tape and new witness interviews, the series shows the long, difficult road to justice against a rich, powerful celebrity and the unlikely events and incredibly brave victims that led to Cosby's arrest and conviction. It all started with Andrea Constand. She carried the burden of being the only one of the 60-plus victims whose case could be tried in a court of law. It was not going to be easy to come forward and to say the truth about what happened to me. But I was really fighting for many others as well. I consider Andre Constant to be the Joan of Arc in the war on rape. This is part of the age of empowerment of women. It's what we call the reckoning. Egan spent years trying to break the story. Chasing Cosby shares DNA with other Me Too-related investigations like Catch and Kill. Like its cover art suggests, it tugs the long thread that eventually pulls Cosby's iconic sweater apart. We are going to be talking about plot points for Chasing Cosby, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. 
Laura Bricker, a lot of sexual assault-related podcasts coming out. And I know that in our editorial conversations, we've just talked about how difficult it is to talk about all of these. Uh, But Chasing Cosby sort of has a different tone, sort of, that I find it makes it extremely listenable. What do you think? Yeah, it did. And I should tell you, I've got my, like, weighted anxiety blanket and my tea on right now as we're discussing this because I'm, like, just maxed out on these. But I will say... There was a lot of really difficult descriptions of sexual assault to listen to in this podcast. And those were things that I was like, oh, you know. But what made it listenable for me was the reporter, Nikki, and, you know, really going behind the scenes and hearing about her persistence in chasing this story for years. And that sort of feeling of, like, vindication when the story finally comes out and he's held accountable. And, you know, despite the cane and all that alleged blindness, just like Harvey Weinstein, he's held accountable. So there is that going into it. And I think following her and listening to this sort of just dogged determination and the fact that she, you know, puts the box away for a few years, thinks it, oh, it's done, but keeps bringing it back out and going after the story. That's sort of what got me through listening to this podcast. Now, Kevin... For our listeners who don't live in the U.S. or who are too young, perhaps, to remember, like in the 80s and 90s and mm-hmm. 70s and 60s, 60s, but I think really prominence in the 80s and early 90s, can you just fill us in? Because I don't think the podcast necessarily does a great job of this on how famous, not just famous, but also incredibly influential and wholesome Bill Cosby's legacy in America was at that period in time. Like, we grew up with him. The America's Dad thing really resonates, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. I Maybe for a younger generation, it's a little less clear. But I, I think that for people of our age internationally, people knew who Bill Cosby was and what his reputation was. They didn't really touch on this, but what's really interesting is that when he comes up in the mid-60s, he's one of the few black comedians that come on the scene nationally on The Tonight Show and whatnot. In part because his material is not of the day and political and cutting edge and challenging like so many other comics were then and today. But he was just sort of very, I think he came out for the first time on The Tonight Show and he said, I want to talk about karate. Yeah. And got a laugh from that. Because the audience thought it was going to be a different kind of act. Like a Richard Pryor or exactly, Lenny Bruce. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think when you look back, the term you would probably use is that he was palpable hmm. and non-threatening. Yeah. Now, in any event, he became, as we we learn, a superstar. And, in, and part of wrapped in that is his reputation. In every sense, in all the roles that he played and the way he comported himself in public was that he was this avuncular kind of everyday guy who was uh, wise and someone that you wanted, you know, well, you wanted him to be your dad and pat you on the head. And he knew stuff about the world that transcended race and generations and all this other stuff. And so in that way... That's just a long way of getting to the point I want to make, which is that part of what was so shocking about this and hard for people to get on as quickly as they did, because not a lot of people did at first, there was still a lot of denial, was that his reputation was such that we revered him. We revered him unlike so many other celebrities. When you look at Michael Jackson, then you look back and say, oh, he was 
he was a pedophile? You're like, yeah, man, I guess he was there at plain sight. And when you look at Harvey Weinstein, you're like, yeah, I suppose, yeah, that kind of makes sense looking back at it. Cosby, there was just, maybe in a small circle, but sort of the, the rest of us, there was just no whiff that not only did he have a, a dark side of his life, but it was that, that he was drugging women. But it wasn't I mean, because he was making jokes about it in well, his well, comedy routine. I just got to say, that's one joke in an act from the 1960s. He wasn't doing 50 jokes about that. Right. You know, that's in your face. It's like I said, it's one pinprick. Yeah. It's interesting to look back on. No one should say, oh, we should have known because of that joke. But the other thing about him and his story that I think is important about his cultural importance isn't just his palatability and his America's dad thing. It's how important he was to the black community and also how controversial he was in the black community. He had this dual role of portraying the first affluent you know, black patriarch in television history. And then he would also, you know, he'd, he'd do, he gave like, a, he got countless like honorary degrees. He like gave money to tons of historically mm-hmm. black college, like scholarships and all this stuff. He would give and, you know, all these like commencement speeches, but then he would also make these public pronouncements of how like young black men we're doing it wrong and we're not good enough. And he would say, and he would like slut shame uh, young black women. And you and you think about how Lisa Bonet and her rift with him when they did the Cosby show, like remember that very public mm. situation where she was like, he was shaming her and she ended up like leaving the show. And it was like this whole like very public thing. It all makes like a lot more sense to me that kind of like public thing that was always weird when you know that he was always playing these power games in the background. Toby, what do you think? I mean, I'm, that was a very sort of simplified analysis of it, but I think this podcast maybe doesn't go deep enough into his like star popularity. It's a very victim-focused podcast. We should say that I think that that's good for mm-hmm. this this case. I think that there is an assumption made that Cosby's fame is there. But Toby, what do you think of that sort of dual role that Cosby played as like this, you know, icon of Black America who was a groundbreaking and had a legacy? Versus this guy who was always at the same time, like playing that power dynamic and putting people down at the same time. I mean, the podcast does talk about that. You know, this is what the fourth podcast I think we've listened to about like a powerful man and his sort of serial sexual abuse. And it's this Larry Nasser we heard about. I guess we, even Bikram you can talk about, although um, I'm not sure he fits quite in with the rest of them. And then Epstein and Weinstein. And now Cosby and, you know, part of it is it it becomes almost like routinized in their lives. Like they all seem to have sort of an M.O. that they use. And it it just seems like when you listen to these things, it seems inextricable from who they are, Mm. like how they live. And I think that's part of and, and, and it's what Kevin was talking about, is that it's really hard to reconcile Bill Cosby, who, when some of this stuff was going on, like, he wasn't like just America's dad. He was like America's grandfather. Mm. And he was. I mean, he was kind of a scold as well. You know, he was, you know, pull up your pants, you know, take responsibility. Speak proper English. Right. And at the same time, he's like forcing quaaludes on young women and having sex with them while they're unconscious. You know, I I was trying to think of like, what would you compare it to? 
you know, it's like if you found out something horrible about Ellen or something, yeah. it just it seemed so out of keeping with his public persona. Even if you disagreed with some of that stuff, you felt like he was operating. He was sanctimonious with a, with a moral code. Yeah, like you could like dislike him because of that. But I just I can't imagine people not being somewhat surprised that this was going on. It's just it's it's really hard to square with what you think you know about him. Uh, because what was most annoying about him was that he was preachy. Mm. You know, he was trying to lay his morals on other people. And that also, you know, clearly seemed to be what pissed off Hannibal Buress as well. Oh, we need to talk about Hannibal Buress because one of the things that's interesting to me is that it took a young, I mean, women had been complaining about Cosby for decades. I certainly. When Kevin, I remember when the Hannibal Burris thing came out and you were like a little bit surprised. And I was like, what are you talking? Why are you surprised? There's like dozens of women who said they're raped by Cosby. But, you know, you hadn't read it. I had. It took a man on stage and a male reporter in the audience taping him for America to finally hear this. On stage, Burris starts mocking Bill Cosby. Pull your pants up, black people. I was on TV in the 80s. <laughs> Dan McQuaid, who works for Philadelphia Magazine, is here at the show. I was probably fiddling with my phone, and I heard him say Bill Cosby, and I immediately hit record and started filming. I can talk down to you because I had a successful sitcom. Yeah, it was great women, Bill Cosby, so kind of crazy down a couple notches. I don't curse on stage. Well, yeah, you're a rapist, so... Take you saying lots of motherfuckers on Bill Cosby himself if you want a rapist. Yep. Hannibal Burris just called Cosby a rapist on stage. Laura, one of the things uh, about this podcast that I love is all of the interviews with uh, Cosby accusers. And one of my favorites is with this woman who's 58 now, Tamara Green. She's one of uh, the first, you know, the, the longest time accusers that she's been telling the story for a her long time. She's the woman who talks very frankly about her attack. She was the one who uh, met Cosby in the restaurant, had been told to like never be alone with him and then met him in a restaurant. And then he took her back to her apartment, you know, because she was sick. Is she the one who tried to break the window with the lamp? Yes. She was the one who was then interviewed by Matt Lauer. Why didn't you call the police after the medication wore off? Well, you know, because, uh, first of all, I was very ill. The reason I took the med medication is because I had some vile flu. Well, what and about I was a week sick. later? What about days later? Sure. Well, let me tell you. The thing is, and I understand this about the current victim, the first thing you feel is stupid. Fuck Matt Lauer, right, Lara? Yeah, exactly. But what did you think of all of the women that we heard in this podcast? Because certainly we do hear from an awful lot of women in this podcast, and I, for one, found that to be kind of wonderful. Uh, it was it was a lot to take in. And I felt like the podcast really, uh, one of the things that they seemed to make a really concerted effort to do was include as many voices of the victims as they could. And so at times, I would be like, wait, did I hear this already? Because so many of the stories were so similar that after a while, like you were just, you were hearing these patterns over and over exactly how it happened for so many people, you know, so you'd have to kind of come back. Okay. The, and it, it, sometimes I, I hate to say it kind of was hard to kind of, for me, keep it straight because I was just like, there are so many victims, but that was just one of the things that was kind of overwhelming about thinking about the totality of this case was that there were that many victims. And I guess all these years later, it probably was very cathartic for all of them to have 
a forum to tell their whole story. And and they all did. But it was horrific. Just, uh, I don't know. I, I, and I'm still, like what you were talking about before, having a hard time sort of reconciling this public persona that I knew of Bill Cosby. And I'm thinking of like, when he did those little like kids say the darndest things shows with the little yeah, kids and and it was so funny and it was so cute and then hearing these stories about just oh god like just the horror waking up looking over seeing him there like naked and realizing I know something happened. And you know, as a woman, when you hear that, you know, and uh, not remembering what happened was just horrific. But I think they did do a good job of including as many voices as they did. But at times, because, you know, his MO was so similar for me, I was just like, it was overwhelming. I want to jump in because so far, all I've been able to say about this has been about Bill Cosby. Yeah. And I don't want to be leaving it there. I have learned to separate the art from the artist was his routine about going to the dentist and the chocolate cake? Is that hysterical? It is. He's a horrible person. And I've I've grieved what I my image of Bill Cosby is. He is a horrible person. The focus should be on the victims here. I find that their stories are really obviously compelling, but then it's really enlightening in a way where you think, here's a, a woman who like today we'd say she's an old lady. She's she's a senior citizen. And she's coming forward for the first time. I mean, she's only fifty-eight. Well, I, I'm not, <laughs> but I'm talking about I'm talking like, about certain certain. Oh, victims. the other victim who was the very first victim. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like she, she's an old who, lady who, who, right, who carried it for decades, yeah, yeah. and are just coming forward now. And I'm like, wow, what a horrible. Obviously, you know, even if she'd come forward then and lived her whole life with the morale in the open, would it be any better? I don't know. Nobody would have listened. But yeah, you know. But to have carried that as a secret with her. And there was one woman who said, like, she's never been intimate with a man after that. And uh, I just, you know, I was very sad. When I think about the journalists who were sort of afraid to engage with Cosby when he, they would ask him about this. You had to know that some of your own personal issues would come to the fore. Um, accusations that, that have been made about you in the past involving inappropriate conduct with women. If they're not true, they don't. What happens if they're not true? Kevin, there's like a lot of journalistic malpractice that happened for many decades around this, I think, which is why we didn't know more about it. It's very much kind of, it reminds me very much of Catch and Kill. Harvey Weinstein. The, the more recent episodes that I've been listening to since our, our past review, where Ronan Farrow talked to other magazine and print uh, reporters about what they had and how close they came, but didn't have enough to break the story. And yeah, I mean, Cosby really skated on his good guy, wholesome image that people were, in addition to the money he could throw at stuff, you know, were unwilling to believe, hmm. you know? And it's if this, if this did not happen right at the cusp of the Me Too movement, in a lot of ways he created the Me Too movement. Well, the Weinstein story is what really triggered the Me Too movement. Sure, this was like right at the same time, right but at the cusp. it certainly is what helped push this down the hill. Right, right, which is why in 2005 it didn't have legs. But all of this, if the, and again, if this had happened in 2014, mm. it may not have gotten to where it got to, but there was the public pressure there to finally say, look, enough is fucking enough. Now, Toby, are you surprised? I mean, the Andrea Constant story. I mean, she is the victim that got Cosby to trial. Uh, and by the way, I just want to drop a piece of tape here and just say, like, 
If you are raped by a celebrity, you should 100% tape every phone call you have with that person ever, even if you are the victim's mom. I wanted to get back to you because I, I don't want to talk about anything except a, a mutual feeling for uh, a friendship and to see if, to just see if, um, if, if Andreas, did she graduate from the school? No, not yet, because this is, okay. she's just in her first year. Do you, do you have a beeping going on on your phone? No. No, not at all. I have a parent. Do you think it's surprising that it's the Andrea Constance story when there are so many other stories that that push us over the line? I mean, I find her to be incredibly brave, as I find all the women to be. Uh, and there's also something about the way the legal proceeding happened that was also kind of a twist in the Cosby story. Can you just talk about that stuff a little bit, Toby? It's an interesting question in that I don't think they really get to it in the podcast, right? It is is like why this particular case? And I don't know how much it has to do with... I think it's a more comprehensible case in terms of the usual sense of of the power dynamics that he did actually have some employment authority over her in a way that I think is the way a lot of people think about sexual harassment, for instance, in that she had to continue in order to continue to do her job, had to continue to, you know, interact with them to a certain extent. And if not that, at least be sort of you know, within his gravitational pull as a very important person at Temple uh, University. So I don't know if that played a part in it, that it was a little bit easier for people to see how it worked because of that. I, I think she seemed savvy in how she went about it. You know, clearly her mom taping phone calls uh, was a savvy move. Yeah, I guess I don't I don't have like any great insight into it other than I think it kind of fell into a frame that was comprehensible to people and made the idea that Bill Cosby again, who I think it's hard for people to kind of wrap their heads around the fact that he's a he, you know, he's a serial rapist, mm. but that kind of provided a frame in which it was sort of comprehensible how it could have happened uh because we'd seen those kinds of things happen in other you know, in other situations. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, okay, I can see, I can see that, how that works. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it's not too hard to be like, well, you know, he's one of the most powerful guys in American entertainment, you know? So even though he doesn't have like actual sort of employment control over these people, it's the same thing with Harvey Weinstein. It's like you can dangle all this stuff in front of people and hell yeah, they're going to want to have a meeting with you. And yeah, they would love to have you as a mentor, and so that gives them access. Yeah. And it, it, I thought one of the super like troubling details that they didn't really follow up on very much was this idea that there are these uh, at least one like model agent who is sending models to him. Yes. Like regularly, frequently yeah. on the set of the Cosby show. What's that for? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's obvious. So how many more stories are there? That haven't been told, and he set up a situation where he was being supplied, yeah. and and there were people who were abetting it. Hmm. Even the, his payoff plan is so Cosby. Hannibal right? money orders. Oh, no, college. No, like this. Like you the, mean college? I will pay for her college if she maintains a three 
0.0, Mom. And never talks about my rape, right? Never talks about my rape. To me, that was like one of the most stunning moments. Yeah. Because basically he's saying, I'm blackmailing you with conditions. Is that the most on-brand fucking Cosby blackmail situation ever? Like, you still have to be the person that you need to be and and live up to my, like, condescending fucking standards, yet I'm blackmailing you so you won't talk about the fact that I drugged and raped you. It's insane. Laura, what did you what did you think about the the difference in the legal situation between, you know, the first trial and the second? You know, first trial, they're not allowed to bring in all of these other women. You know, I think they're allowed to bring in one saying this also happened to me. Mm-hmm. Second trial, they're allowed to bring in lots of women saying it happened to me. And that's what tipped the scales. What do you think about that? I liked hearing how the progression happened and with um, was and this was related to the also the women that I liked listening to who got the statute of limitations changed. And we had that clip of the tape when they were in the bathroom and hearing them all sort of banding together to do this so that they could move forward with these things that otherwise would have just been, you know, sorry, you missed your chance. That was that was really, you know, empowering to listen to. And again, like listening to the reporter following the story for all these years, it had that same sort of feeling of like, okay, in the end game, like this horrible, awful, shitty, awful abuse happened and assault happened. And and these people, these women are going to fight this. So I think that there was something about this sort of listening to this, like the community of the women that had all been victims being able to really band together in that way that, you know, for me, I was like, okay, go get them. Like as I was listening to it, I don't know if you had that sort of same sort of feeling listening totally. to them all. To, yeah, yeah. Um, Kevin, can I just ask you about one of your uh, podcast gripes that you've talked about the last few weeks? So I just want to say that <laughs> I know what you're say. this podcast is a particularly bad perpetrator of that gripe and that's writing about things that happen clearly in the past framed in the past using present tense though short on money anna cosby wants the best for her four sons trying to instill in them a passion for education cosby plays sports but he's never a star student kevin why does this bother you so much I I don't know. It's it's a little disorienting. I mean, I think broadcasters are supposed to know that if you're going to refer to stuff in the past, that you use the past perfect or the present perfect tense and not the present tense because it is not really happening now. But you, just I, I never mind. Well, there's a lot of I think a um, lot of it use it, and there's a lot of news writing guts that say present tense drives the story. Except when you say it's 1958. Cosby is blah blah blah. Yeah, if it's 1958, Cosby was. I think. I think it's a mixing of two different <laughs> things yes. here in broadcasting, where it's present tense because you want to write it to what is happening today and now. You're framing it as what's the newest thing, and you use the tense that way. But when you're talking about stuff in the past, and you, you know, say way it's past, the past, and it's long past, and that's the f- longer format. If you can't frame that in the present right now. It so I don't work, know. Yeah. It just doesn't work. I got to say, this podcast, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers another podcast. This podcast, it also yeah. did bother me. All right. Well, with that gripe out of the way, let's do what we do and let's let our listeners know overall, should they check out Chasing Cosby? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Well, I can't believe I'm saying this because I was said I'm not listening to any more sexual assault stories because it's just so intense. But I will say thumbs up because this was really well done. And despite the really just awfulness of the subject matter on some levels, on other levels, it's really sort of a story of, you know, 
people involved, um, victims and journalists overcoming the odds to see this through to the end and see somebody held accountable. So um, I would say thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Chasing Cosby? Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I think, you know, one thing that we haven't talked very much about is that I think it's, you know, the right person is telling the story in that she was on it before anybody else was and pursued it uh, until the point at which it became known. Uh, so I, I think that that's sort of another thing in the podcast's favor. Again, it, it's it's not it's not fun to listen to. It's tough. You know, again, it's it's another in a sequence of stories of these powerful men in their own ways, not just using that power to abuse women, but really creating these systems that allows them access to women who they then rape. Again, it's 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 super troubling. It's not fun to listen to, but I but I do give it a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn, uh, I'm I'm a thumbs up. Again, we have a, a podcast that uh, is read by a newspaper person, and you can tell uh, Nikki is this is her story, so she's the right one to tell it. She doesn't quite bring in the same kind of first person perspective that Ronan Farrow did or Sarah Koenig did, but. The story is told very well. Um, we do get to hear a lot from the victims and feel the suffering that they endured, and you know we're certainly pulling for them. And uh, I think that the you know the cover art says it all. I think it's the most on point cover art there is. You know, pulling at a string, which when you follow that string, it's you know the famous Cosby sweater pulling it apart. I'm a thumbs up. So I'm a big thumbs up for this podcast, but I'm going to split with you guys on one big thing. I do not find podcasts about sexual assault and rape any more difficult to listen to than podcasts about murder, nor do I think we should. This is a very important crime, and it's a very important sign of the times, and it is a true crime that we will be hearing more stories about, and we should hear, be hearing more stories about because it's insidious, and it's everywhere, and for some reason, murder has been branded fun but rape has been branded difficult. And guess what? They're both crimes. And this is a true crime review podcast. So sorry, guys. It's probably not going to be the last sexual assault podcast we listen to. Some will be better than others. Uh, I think this podcast is very, very strong. Is it as good as Catch and Kill? No. It's a different kind of podcast. As Kevin pointed out, Nikki Wisenstein Egan does not have the uh, on-camera, on-mic sort of savvy that someone like Ronan Farrow does, but she's a very good reporter. Uh, present tense aside, this is a very well-written podcast. I learned some things about the case that I didn't know, and I particularly appreciated that it was victim-focused, and as Laura pointed out, focused on the power of women when they get together, but also on the outsized power that men have to take down other men when they finally decide to believe women. So thumbs up for me for Chasing Cosby. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Crime of the week. Florida Highway Patrolman made quick work of two would-be drug dealers after a traffic stop last weekend. Officials say they were caught with two satchels that had, quote, bag full of drugs written on them. <laughs> <laughs> True to their word, the bags contained meth, cocaine, fentanyl, and other narcotics. These alleged traffickers face a number of charges. Authorities say their dogs not only sniffed out drugs, 
but they can also read. <laughs> so panel, file this crime under maybe too obvious. What other very obvious mistakes might these criminals have made? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, when I used to travel, and this is only a recent change, I used to carry a file folder with me with all my travel documents that would say, my travel plan. So <laughs> I, I'm thinking like like I was like an 80-year-old person. I'm thinking they might have had a folder that said my getaway plan. <laughs> Toby Ball, what do you think? Yeah, I had one that was a little bit like Lars is that they probably on their computer have a file that's passwords. <laughs> <laughs> Should we have that same file? <laughs> Kevin, what do you think? How could this have been a little bit more obvious? I don't know about more obvious, but certainly they could have tried to escape on an inner tube. <laughs> I kind of think the license plate on their getaway car may have said, getaway car. Okay. <laughs> All right, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Well, we do have a cat this week. And this is one of my favorites in a while. This is from Kelsey. It is her cat, Molly Malone, who aspires one day to be an accomplished podcaster like the favorite Fab Foursome. And Molly Malone is next to a microphone. And I said, well, what, what is Molly Malone working on? Um, she said she's usually pretty quiet, but then she goes in our basement and yodels. Oh. <laughs> we need some tape of that. If Molly Malone's owner has a microphone, they need to send some tape yeah. of us of Molly yodeling. Do they not, Lara Bricker? Uh, absolutely. Um, I just, I need to hear that. Absolutely. All right, Lara. Well, if people want to reach out to you to submit their cats or shall I say dogs or other animals to be cat of the week of course they can email crimewriterson at gmail.com as many do but if they wanted to tweet to you how can they find you on twitter um they can find me at Lara bricker and they can also send me leads on kevin and rebecca's new dog because i have been sending them leads and i'm not hearing any updates so i would like to have a new dog of the week soon so, so would i me. so would i have a plan underway Lara. i will fill you in after the show Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter. How can they find you? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, folks want to tap you up and say, yes, Kevin, let Rebecca get that corgi and name it Porchy. How can they find you on Twitter? You find me at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can also go to our regular Facebook page, by the way, for all sorts of cool content. Support the show on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media, and you will get the after show right now. Plus, Married with Podcasts, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome Henry Lavoie. Our social media maven, newsletter captain, and fellow Taco Bell stan is Meredith Plunkett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our basement where we keep all of our cans of extra strength bear mace on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later Later. toby you taping your end because your connection sucks i want to make sure you're getting it all yeah i'm hearing it like toby's going in and out but i don't know that's not me right that's that's toby your connection sounds great laura my connection quality is five stars. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. We have you at zero. zero stars. And we have bricks at two with an audio delay of two, three, 231 milliseconds.
Wow, that's a, a fifth of a oh. second. 231 milliseconds. Yeah. Wow. Good that's God. it, Toby. All Let's right. see if there's a delay. I'm going to count to five, and I want you to count along with me. Ready? Exactly the same time. One, two, okay. three, One, two, two, four, three, three, four. Five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just fucking with you. Do you want to oh, really? for real? I can't do it. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I was just messing with you. Okay, ready? All right. One, two, One, One, three, two, two four, three, five. Four, five. <laughs> yeah. Amazing crime media. media.